much. All right, let's pray and go into God's word. God, you're good. God, you you went so far as to lay down your divinity, Lord, to put on human flesh to be with us. Lord, and, and you encountered so many different people all along the way. And so as we continue to uh, explore the nativity, Lord, and explore uh, how you came and who you came to, Lord, I pray that you challenge us. I pray that you convict us. I pray that you encourage us. Lord, I pray that you draw us closer into your story. And all God's kids said, Amen. So we have been on this Fear Not series based around almost every encounter with the angels, Old Testament or New Testament, starts with the first words, don't be afraid. Because seeing an angel is terrifying, right? And we saw that with Zechariah when uh, the angel came and said, hey, you're going to have a kid. And he's like, dude, we left those dreams long ago. And we talked about how God came to Zechariah for those and gave hope to those who were struggling with dreams that they had thought were in the past. Then, then the next week we talked about the angels coming to Joseph and Mary. Fear not, because your life is about to get really complicated. Your relationship is about to be a little bit more stressful. Last week, uh, briefly, we talked about the shepherds and how they were outsiders and, and how God said, fear not. E- even you who feel like you are outside of community, I, I have a place for you. And, and today we're talking about the magi. And the angels come to them. We, we don't get the, the fear not when the angels come. That's, that's not part of their story. But for me, the angels are some of the most interesting people in the entire nativity. And we'll unpack that as we go through Scripture. We're going to see if this works. Wait for it. There we go. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod. All right, y'all, King Herod was a piece of work. Uh, In fact, it's a fascinating story. He grew up with Julius Caesar. Uh, He knew Mark Anthony. He knew Cleopatra. Like, all these big Roman names. Like, he was in their crew. He was with them. And his family wasn't born royalty. They were appointed royalty by Julius Caesar, actually. But that meant that there was a family before him that had been betrayed. And Herod was terrified of being betrayed. If you look at his history, and there is a lot of history on King Herod, dude was paranoid, so much so that he killed former wives, he killed sons, anyone who he thought was a threat to his rule and his reign, King Herod had a rather extreme way of dealing with them. And so this story in Matthew is not shocking knowing what we know about Herod. He did some good things. He actually rebuilt the temple. He considered himself Jewish. He he used the nation's fund to, quote-unquote, support the church. And yet what he cared more about than anything else, and what we will see in this story, was he cared about being king. He wanted his own little ruling, his own little kingdom, and he would go to rather extreme lengths to stop any threat. So that's how the story starts. Continues on. Magi from the east, oh, came, Magi from the east to Jerusalem. Now again, these are probably the most unexpected characters in the story. 
Because angels being in the birth of Jesus makes sense. Angels are all over scripture. They're messengers of God. So it would make sense that if we are talking about God's son coming, angels would be a part of that process. All right, check. The nativity, angels, they should be there. All right, uh, Mary and Joseph, maybe not the family you would expect, but they're at least from the line of David. So it would make sense that, okay, the promised seed of David, the promised son of David would come through their line. Okay, so Mary and Joseph, check. That makes sense. The, the, the shepherds, that makes sense. Throughout all of the Old Testament, shepherds weren't glorified, but they were all over the place. David was a shepherd. Abraham was a shepherd. Jacob was a shepherd. Okay, check. Shepherds make sense. But, but then the Magi? That doesn't track. Magi from the east? That definitely doesn't track. You know where the Magi are in the Old Testament? In the second year of his reign, this is from Daniel 2, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled and he couldn't sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, the astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. That's the Magi. The Magi practiced magic. They're not supposed to be there. And we don't have a ton of data on the Magi, other than we know they advised kings, and they were trying to find truth. Right? This is before the scientific method. This is before we had uh, microscopes to understand what's going on with biology. And so these were advisors to the king who studied everything they could get their hands on to try to understand the world. And so when the Magi show up, it makes sense as far as being with a king, because they were advisors to rulers. But, but how did they get there? Why would they show up there? Well, an interesting hap thing happened in Israel's exile. All of their writings went throughout the entire known world. And all of a sudden, all of the Old Testament started scattering. And so the stories and the truth of Scripture started getting out there. And so somehow the Magi found that, and that, that continues on their story. The Magi asked, so they're talking to Herod at this point, where is the one born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. And the, the Magi were advisors of the king. They, they studied the world, and they saw something in the sky. They saw creation shifting for its creator. And somehow they pinpointed, oh, this is in Israel. But what do we know about Israel? oh, they're going to have a future king. So they set off to Jerusalem, right? So again, we don't know a ton. We know Magi are advisors of the king. We know they're not in the in-group, but somehow they connect. There's a star in the sky. It's hanging out over Israel, and there is a promised Messiah that's going to come. And they get so excited that creation is changing. They pick all their stuff up. They travel to Israel. They go to Jerusalem, the capital, and they're like, hey, Creation is doing something awesome here. Where is this guy? Story goes on. 
But when King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all of Jerusalem with him. Herod's reaction is not one of praise. It's one of fear. Right? And again, this tracks Herod, the guy who would kill his own family to stay in power. He hears about a potential threat to his reign, and he is disturbed. He's not on team, oh, God's Messiah is here. He's on team Herod. I just got here. I don't want to give this up yet. I still got things to do. And what it says is all of Jerusalem's freaking out with him too because when God shows up, things get messy. We see this throughout the entire nativity story. Joseph and Mary's life got messy. The shepherd's life got messy. Life gets messy. It goes on. And we had called together, this is Herod, all the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And he asked them, well, where is the Messiah to be born? Well, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied. For the prophet has written this, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means the least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. What's interesting, the Magi made it to Jerusalem, but they couldn't get any farther. Their knowledge of the world, their looking at creation, got them so far. But it only got them to Jerusalem. It only got them to, hey, there's a promised Messiah. We've got some of the writings. We don't understand the writings, though. So they go to the capital of the Jewish people, Jerusalem, like, hey, we think a king's supposed to be here. And then Scripture unlocks the rest of the story. And the priests tell them, hey, I, I think it's going to be in Bethlehem. And they're like, okay, Bethlehem, let's do this. So they head off. Then Herod called the Magi secretly, found out the exact time the star appeared, and he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child, and as soon as you find him, report to me that I too may go and worship him. Herod's already plotting, right? Secret conversations. Don't, don't tell anyone about this. Let's keep this. Let's keep this on the DL for a little bit. And I want to be the first one, once you find him, to go and bow down and worship him. None of Herod's story, none of Herod's history points to that's what's going to happen. And when we see that, right? It's not in today's reading, but after the Magi leave, Herod goes nuts. Herod starts executing every kid he can get his hands on in Bethlehem. Right? So the Magi, they're heading out thinking, this is awesome. Creation's changing. We want to see this thing. Herod, he's cold, whole closed-fisted. How do I hold on to power? And after the Magi had heard the king, they went out on their way. And the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. And when they saw the star, they were overjoyed. They kept following truth. And that joy led them to Jesus. Okay, we, don't, we don't know the background. Right? We can't do all the specifics of like, oh, they read this text and they saw this star. And this. We know they're magi, which means they're magicians. We know they're advisors to the king. We know they see creation changing. They track it down to Jerusalem. From Jerusalem, they find out, okay, it's in Bethlehem. And this is cool. The star changes course at that point. 
right? Creation again is like, okay, now get closer, and they're overfilled with joy. And on coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Worship is one of the most loaded terms within all of Scripture. Because Scripture is really, really clear. We are only called to worship one person, and it's God. The Ten Commandments start, Thou shall have no other gods before me. One that we worship. And all of us wrestle with that. I wrestle with that. You wrestle with that. Worship is, is putting ourselves below something. We do it when we sing. When, when we sing praises to God. But it's not just singing praises. It's praying. It's going to this thing that we trust in for truth, for safety, for protection. But the, but the challenge is, as much as I would love to tell you, I only worship God at all points. If worship is defined by where I put my trust in, I, I got some issues. Right? I put my trust in how big my savings account is. In the last couple of weeks, it has taken a couple of hits. Right, The hot water heater goes out. Oh, we got a new washer. Oh, the insurance is being weird here. To the point where yesterday, this is a true story, I, I freak out about money sometimes, and I, I sat down with Eric, I said, I, need you, I have a favor for you. She's like, okay, what do you want? And I said, when I start getting anxious about money, this thing that I am tempted to worship, not that I bow down to it, but I trust in it, and when I don't have it, I start freaking out. I said, sweetie, I need you to do me a favor. She said, okay, what is it? And I said, when I freak out, will you just remind me that God will provide daily bread? That, that phrase, daily bread, from the Lord's Prayer, means something to me. It clicks something to me. Not that God does not promise, Josh, you will have X amount in your savings account every month. That is not in Scripture. It doesn't say, hey, all of your appliances are always going to work until you're ready to buy a new one. That is not in Scripture. What is in Scripture, though, is a prayer that Jesus promises to answer, give us this day our daily bread. Because in that, I'm not trusting in the money. I'm not even trusting in the bread. I'm trusting in the giver of the bread. And my wife, because she's fantastic, then said, I like it. Then she kicked me out of my room. Uh, and she, <laughs> I've got this scroll tablet thing in my office. And she literally wrote on it, help us be thankful for our daily bread. And then she drew a little bread with, like a loaf of bread with a smiley face in it. Right? Because for me, right, it, it's hard to worship. It's, it's hard. And yet, what Scripture is saying is the Magi, when they encounter Christ, that loaded term, they bow down and worship. Why? Because they encounter something that apparently creation would change for. That God would reorder creation for this event of this baby, this future king. And their reaction is not like Herod. Their reaction is to worship. The story goes on. And then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold and of frankincense and of myrrh. 
Gold makes sense for a king. Frankincense and myrrh, a little less culturally one-to-one. Uh, -one. But these are literally gifts fit for a king. And these are advisors. These are the ones who literally spend all their time among royalty. So when they encounter the king of kings, they give him the honor that he is due. And then having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they return to a country by another route. Because even though the king had finally arrived, the world was still a dangerous place. And that, that's true today as it was yesterday. Our king is no longer a baby. He does rule, but, but we still live in a broken world. We live in a world where there are challenges and there are things that are not in God's best interest. And so, my professional verse comes from Matthew chapter 10, where Jesus tells his disciples, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves, so I need you to be as gentle as doves and as wise as serpents. Because it's still a broken world. It, 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 there are still things that could hurt us. And sometimes we have to scale out in the night. Because while our king is here, we live in the now, not yet. There are things that are not out for God's interest. And that's the story of the Magi. But for me, the hope in the Magi is it offers hope for those who are honestly seeking. And, and all of us, at times of our life, <sighs> have trouble with that, have doubts in that. Right, God, are you really going to provide when the appliance breaks? God, are you really, God, even when the results from the MRI don't come back the way I want? God, what about the science stuff? What about six days versus six billion years? God, what, what about this? And what we see in the Magi is hope that if you are honestly seeking truth, you'll eventually come to Jesus. Hear that again, not just for yourself, but for people in your life who maybe have questions or doubts or concerns. If you are honestly seeking truth, personally, or for the people that you care about, you end at Jesus. Jesus says this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. I love this verse for a bunch of different reasons. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So often, I'm like, okay, God, I'm going to take two of those, maybe one of those. So, all right, God, I like the fact that it's your truth and your life, but I'm going to do it my way. <laughs> or, no, 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 no. Okay, no, no. Uh, uh, your way, your truth, but I want my life. So, so let's make sure X, Y, or, or, or Z happens. But what Jesus says, I am the truth. So God's not scared of doubts. And why is God not scared of doubts? Because doubts lead to questions. Questions lead to answers. Answers lead to truth. And Jesus says, I am the truth. 
hear that again. When you have doubts, and you're like, I, I, I'm really struggling with this, a, a life situation, a relationship situation, a, a question about whether or not God exists, or what about other religions, or all this other stuff that's real. Right? That, that those are real questions. It's not, but so often as Christians, we can start to clam up and be like, oh no, that's dangerous. Doubts are okay as long as you take the next step to questions. All right, so what are the questions behind those doubts? All right, and then questions lead to answers, right? You have to keep taking the next step. Don't just say, well, I've got some questions and I'm going to leave them there. No, 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 lean into them. Seek them out. And they'll lead to answers. And then answers will lead you to truth. And the confidence we have is that when we are honestly seeking, then we end at Jesus. And that's good news. That's good news for myself, and it's good news for my family and friends who have questions. Because I'm probably not the only one who has people in my life who question God sometimes. Maybe at the point where they even say, I'm not sure if I believe in God anymore. And that could be really scary, right? Because you don't want someone to be away from God. You don't want someone to be cut off. You don't want their eternity to be in jeopardy. And so we can start doing the rat race. All of a sudden, that fear, that anxiety, the good news for us is the same for them. But there's even better news than that. Because while I would love, or actually, no, I would not love, uh, it would actually be scary if it was all on us to get here. If it was like, okay, you have to ask the right questions to get to the right answers, to get to the right truth. Because then it's dependent on us, and I don't know if you know about humanity, we're not really good with truth right now, right? Historically, I'm not very good with truth. And so if that was the end of it, that would be scary. But, but the cool thing about this is the whole story of Jesus isn't him saying, all right, God's here, you're here, ask the right questions, do the right things, and you'll eventually get to me. Instead, the story's inverted. Truth comes to us. And he starts giving us answers. And he allows space for questions and doubts. And so all of a sudden, truth is not an, it's not a statement. It's a person. And it's a person who cares for you, and it's a person who cares for that person that you care about who struggles with doubts and questions. And all of a sudden, the whole story turns on its head because truth is a person who's fighting for you. Truth is a person, is a king, who has the power to even break through my heart. To, to navigate challenging questions and doubts. Who fights for me, who dies for me, who comes back to life. But not just for me, but for you and for your family. You see, the story of the Magi is one of those who are honestly seeking answers to complicated questions. And it leads them to Jesus. But only because Jesus came first. Only because God literally moved creation to get their attention. So that God could get them to the king. That God could get them to the Savior. And y'all, that same God is working for you. And that same God is working for me. 
And that's the miracle, that's the good news of Jesus, is that truth puts on human flesh, starts walking around, and essentially gives us God's neon lights. Do this, don't do this. Jesus dies, he comes back to life, and then he says, I'm going to send the truth to live in you. That the Holy Spirit is going to be your new conscience. The Old Testament and the New Testament says it's going to create a new heart inside of us. It's going to teach us, and it's going to help us when we struggle with questions or doubts. And it's going to lead us to answers, and ultimately it's going to lead us into a stronger relationship with Christ. And Christ is for you, and he's for those who are struggling with questions and doubts as well. And that is good news. That actually brings us to our anchor verse for this month where a new rhythm that we have as a church is to pray scripture together, is, is to not just memorize scripture, which is good, but to learn how to pray it. And if you want to be a part of that, you can text ANCHOR to 94000. But our verse for this month, and we're actually going to recite it together. I want to start doing this more often. Would you say these words with me? The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. That's the good news. That we have this God who was willing to dwell among us. To tabernacle is the actual word, and it means to pitch his tent. Truth. The ultimate source of all things real came, put up a tent to be with us. Sent by the Father because God wanted us to be in relationship with him, full of not just truth, but grace too. Actually, probably grace first. This love of God, this forgiveness of God, this bubbling over of all things that God has for us, all of his love and it pours out of Jesus. And it leads us into truth, into grace. Let's pray this scripture. Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, so often we're more like Herod than we are like the Magi. More interested in protecting our own kingdom, our own wants, our own ideas of what will keep us safe or make us happy. Lord, we worship the things of this world. We trust in the things of this world. And, and yet, God, you changed creation to get the Magi's attention. Because truth was coming and you wanted the world to celebrate it. The king was coming who could actually protect his people, who could actually provide daily bread and not just physical daily bread, but spiritual daily bread and emotional daily bread who wanted to bring your kingdom, Father. Biblical outcomes into the world where, where children are fed and families are reunited and, and those who have been hurt don't have to hurt others but, but, but get to turn the other cheek into love. Lord God, the world tells us there's a lot to fear. But Father, Lord, we find hope in who you are and who you showed yourself to be. And Father, Lord, if we ever doubt how much you love us, remind us that your love sent you to the cross. 
And that in your death, you raised out your arms and said, I love you this much. Lord, help us dwell with people as you dwell with us. And God's kids say, amen. We continue with worship. Let's